0: Philippians and Colossians. Uh, however, Alan, I would just say this up front, the longer and the more I study Philippians, the less time I see I'm going to have with the book of Colossians. Some I'm afraid it's going to be a, a flyover when we get to that end, but we're going to, we're going to definitely focus upon the book of Philippians uh, to begin our study tonight. Uh, we asked Brother Jim Britt if he would open our class with a word of prayer, and so we'll do that at this time. So we know that Ephesians uh, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Colossians, the Book of Philemon are noted as what we call Paul's prison epistles. They were written uh, from the time when Paul was in Rome and uh, in, in prison in Rome. but to find out about how the church started, you've got to go back to the book of Acts. so I'd invite you if you would please, Turn back with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Because the church at Philippi had a kind of an unusual beginning. or uh, So it seems when you look at uh, what occurs uh, in Acts chapter 16. So actually, if you go back a little bit, just farther than that, go back to chapter 15, the last couple of verses of chapter 15, you find out that Paul uh, and his traveling companion Barnabas has a bit of a misunderstanding, m- maybe even an argument. Uh, so at that particular time, Paul chooses a new traveling partner. In verse 39 it says, then the contention because became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and he Part of being committed by the brethren of the, of the grace of God. Uh, and he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthened the churches. So so what happens of course, Paul traveling companion uh, in his first tri- trip in his first attempt to establish churches is with Barnabas, but then he splits <clears throat> and it's, and it's all because of John Mark had left them on that trip somewhere on that trip. And so Paul didn't want to take him the second time. But Barnabas still did want him to travel, but he chooses a different partner. Well, here's the strange part, it seems to me. And so uh, it says, and then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. So Paul actually chooses a, another traveling partner to go with him, and he takes the young man, Timothy. Timothy had a, a great report among the brethren there, but because his mother was a Jew but his father was a Greek, Paul has Timothy uh, circumcised. Uh, and then he becomes a traveling partner with Paul at that particular time. And so he's, they're, they're, they're going to be traveling together. Uh, it says in verse 4, And they went through the cities, and they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which was determined by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem, so kind of going back a little bit of history there again, uh, it seems that there was, a, there was a, uh, some, some indecision about, uh, from some of the churches that were being established about exactly what they were supposed to follow because they were being told by Judaizing teachers that they had to keep the law. So Paul goes back to Jerusalem and he sits with the, the apostles there, and they determine what needs to be said. And verse 29 of chapter 15 says, And that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. And that's kind of the end of the letter that Paul now is delivering back to the churches that he had established on that first trip. So uh, so verse 5 says, So the churches are strengthened in the faith and increased in the numbers daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were. This is, this is the part that gets interesting to me. and Maybe we can kind of look at this together. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. They were forbidden. Paul and Timothy and Silas are on this missionary trip, and they, they have a direction in mind, but the, the, by the Holy Spirit, they're forbidden to go there. So, and so in verse 7, says, After they come to Maisha they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So the second time on the same trip, when they have their directions set out before them, the Holy Spirit has stopped them from going there. By this time, I think I would be, if I was Paul, I'd probably scratch in my head and say, Well, just what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? It says, uh, verse 9, so passing by Maesia, they came down to Troas, and then a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul received some direction on what he needs to do now. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately he went. He sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called him to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, he ran a straight course to Troas, Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. Oh, wait a minute. That's where, that's where we're, the church is going to get its start right now, when Paul's there at Philippi. But as Paul's custom was, on, on the Sabbath day, he would go normally to the synagogues uh, to be with people who were worshiping God. But an interesting thing happens at Philippi. There is no synagogue. There's no synagogue, and that's quite possibly because there probably weren't ten Jewish males in the city. It, it was a city that's way up up in, in Macedonia there, way removed from where a lot of the Jews had settled. And so he, he go, it says um, in verse 13, it says, Then on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about actually the first convert in, in, uh, in Philippi is a lady by the name of Lydia by the name of Lydia she was a seller of purple she listens to Paul and listens to the lesson he's teaching and she's converted to Christ along with all of her household she becomes the first convert uh, of, to Christianity by Paul at, at the, at, in Philippi so from its humble beginning of, of, of Paul showing up in a city where he wasn't necessarily heading to uh, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He gets there and then he starts to preach there and we find Lydia converted. Uh, you go on just a little bit farther than, and, and then another kind of interesting thing happens and that's that uh, as Paul is preaching in verse 12, he, says, he said in verse 16, says, not happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us and brought her, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. It wasn't, it wasn't what the lady was saying that, that upset Paul. It was the fact that she was possessed by a spirit of some sort and she was going through that. And that, that was being proclaimed that they were just following Paul from place to place and it kind of got under his skin. It says, it says what? That, he, that he, uh, he was annoyed and he turned around and he told the spirit, he said, Come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Well, unfortunately, that situation got Paul into a lot of trouble. Because, as it turns out, the people who owned the girl, the slaves, the masters of the slave girl who, who made their money from her, they bring accusations against Paul and, and his, his company there. Verse 20 says that they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are unlawful for us, being Romans, at, to receive or to observe. Uh, So then the multitude rose up uh, against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods, and then they were put in prison. So, So from that very early beginning where Lydia is converted, the next thing we find is Paul in prison. Paul and Silas in prison. But, you know, it doesn't seem that Paul is too very unhappy about that. As it turns out, in verse 24... Uh, 25 says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisoners were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and uh, everyone's chains were loosened. Well, we, we've all heard about the conversion of the Philippian jailer, too, Right? how that he suspects that all the prisoners have escaped, he's going to take his own life, but Paul calls out, hey, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And sure enough, he goes in and checks, they are there. But you know what? I think not only was he there guarding Paul, but he was probably listening to what Paul was preaching too. And listening to Paul and Silas sing these songs of praise in prison. So in verse 30 says, and he uh, verse 29 says, then he called for a light and ran out, Ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" So Paul gets the opportunity to preach the gospel to the Philippian jailer and his household, and and they're converted. So the church is already starting to grow in Philippi, but it's not growing by leaps and bounds just yet. So uh, after Paul, after this after the Philippian jailer is is baptized, he and his household, well, Paul and and Silas are put back in prison. And then the next morning, uh, the magistrates sent word for, hey, get those guys out of prison, because what they've heard is that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, or Paul is a Roman citizen. And they're concerned now about the fact that they've punished a Roman citizen, probably unjustly. So Paul makes this acclamation that says, you know, Look, I'm not gonna just walk out of prison. He said they put me in here on false charges, they can come get me out. And so so it he, he leaves them there verse forty of chapter of chapter sixteen says, So they went out of the prison and entered the houses of Lydia, the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So from that very humble beginning, when you just have first Lydia and her household converted. And then you have the Philippian jailer and his household converted. And perhaps others that Paul has had a chance to preach to while he was there. Paul is only there, it, it, he can only have been there a few weeks. It wasn't a long period of time. But Paul leaves there and he continues on his journey. Verse seven, chapter 17 verse 1 says he goes on and he goes on to Thessalonica. But there's something very interesting about these folks in Philippi. And at, that's the fact that they seem to have a very, very good connection to Paul and his preaching. And they, uh, they want to help Paul. They want to be partakers, if you will, uh, with his ministry. So whenever you turn over to the book of Philippians, what we start to find out is that Paul had a great love for the, for the church in, at Philippi, for the Philippian brethren and and not only because of the fact that uh, he started the church there and his converts converts were there but because it was a church that cared about Paul and it cared about his ministry to the point to the point that they would send support support to Paul time and time again on his ministry and in fact in, in the book of Philippians chapter 1 And some of the other chapters, what we find out is Paul says, no other churches, no other churches did that. Only the church of Philippi. So, so when Paul finds himself in prison towards the end of his life, and this is, you just have to kind of roll everything forward now, okay? For about, uh, Paul goes on his missionary journey, goes to Philippi. You know, in the latter years of Paul's life, he ends up in prison again. In fact, he... We're told in the the, the latter chapters of Acts, chapter 28 or so, that he spends two years in Caesarea in prison. And actually, he's on his way to Rome uh, as a prisoner again. uh, Not again, but he's on his way to Rome uh, as a prisoner, and he spends two years in Rome in prison waiting to be tried there in Rome. That's when he writes this letter. Between the years of 60 and 62 A.D., Paul pens this letter. So you can kind of see what's happening now. Paul is looking back at his life and he's thinking about that church in Philippi that he started some, some 10 years ago. And thinking about the saints there, and he, he tells them, every time I think of you, it gives me great joy, it gives me great pleasure to, to remember you and my thoughts and remember all the help that you gave me. So he pens this letter in Ephesians in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, he kind of begins the letter in a little bit of a different way than t- he typically does. He says, Paul and Timothy, the bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now we're in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, the bondservants of Jesus Christ. So you know, a, a lot of times when Paul's writing to the churches, he, 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 he uses the example that Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, he talks about his authority to be able to write to the churches, to make the corrections, and to talk to the people. But when he writes the letter to the Philippians, it's like he's writing a love letter. He's writing back to the folks, and he's telling them how happy He was to know them, how happy he was to be with them, and how thankful he is to have received the help from them over the years that they've helped him. So there's just a couple of themes that we need to think about and look for as we look through the book of Philippians. Uh, The first one we think about is the fact that it is a book of joy. It's a book of joy. Paul would say later on, and we'll read this verse together in a few minutes, that Paul says, whenever I think about you, Whenever I think about you, brethren in Philippi, it gives me great joy. And yet, you have to also remember where Paul is when he's writing this letter. Paul is in prison in Rome. He's chained as a prisoner in Rome. And yet he writes and talks about his great joy when he remembers the Philippian brothers. He says that he and Timothy are bondservants. And that that word that used is used in the Greek there for bondservants is, is one that has is indicates that they 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 belong to okay they belong to Jesus Christ they're they're not just servants but they're special servants for him so and and another thing you think about too is that whenever whenever the brethren there in Philippi received this letter it, it seems that letters were written on scrolls back in those days so the first the first scroll Whenever they open the letter, the first thing they're going to see is they're going to see Paul's name and Timothy's name. That probably is going to bring great joy to the brethren in Philippi, too, to realize that they have received this personal letter from Paul. It's going to make them very happy, too. We're going to talk a little bit later on as we get through the book about how they actually received this letter. And it comes to them another time. So... He says, the letter is addressed to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. This, this, by the way, is the only letter that Paul writes where he addresses it to the bishops and the deacons. The bishops are, of course, the elders of the church. One of the versions, one of the commentators uses the word elders, are the overseers. So why would Paul write this letter? First off, he said to the saints in Christ Jesus, so and the first thing we have to realize is these saints are alive. These aren't dead people, all right? Like some religious beliefs are that a person has to be dead to be a saint, right? But Paul says these brethren that he writes to in Philippi are saints. And he said, um, along with the saints there, I, I need to send a special thanks to the bishops and the deacons there. Um, We read in one of Paul's letters to the young man Timothy over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 the qualifications of one to be a a bishop or an overseer or an elder and also the qualifications of a deacon, that servant of the church. So he says, grace grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just read uh, for a moment to be sure that we get through that down through verse 15. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you uh, all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that He uh, has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains. And in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all, comp- you, uh, you all are partakers with me of this grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you, all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of the righteousness which are of Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak in the the word without fear, for indeed, uh, for some deed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. We we probably won't get that far tonight in our discussion, but I just want to be sure we've read those verses together, and I encourage you, if you would please, to kind of take a look at the book uh, and divide each chapter, if you will, uh, into two sections that we're going to try to cover uh, at least. One chapter every two weeks, okay? So tonight we'll look at the first first uh, fourteen verses there together. Again, so uh, in verse three, Paul says, "I thank my God upon every remembrance of you," and uh, it and it just uh, I'm you know I'm thinking about Paul in prison there, and and uh, awaiting to be seen by those in authority, and and he's got he has a lot of time on his hands, does he not? I mean, he's not going anywhere. He's a prisoner. He's chained, right? But one of the things that brings him great joy is to spend time thinking about what happened to him at Philippi, the brethren he met there, those who converted to Christ there, and the church and how it has grown since the time that he left there. And he says, when I think about those things, it brings me great joy. makes me very happy to think about that. So he says, it makes me so happy that always in every prayer of mine, I I mention you in my prayers. I I believe that Paul would probably be able to mention some of the saints by name there. He would talk about Lydia and her household. He would be thinking about the Philippian jailer and his household. He would be thinking about others that he may have come to know and to meet uh, about 10 years ago when he was there in Philippi. But he says, I want you to know you're in my hearts, you're in my prayers, and And all of that is with joy, with joy. In verse 5, he says, uh, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. When we think about fellowship, uh, I think the Greek word is koinonia, something like that, koinonia. And so he says this person, this partnership, this, this fellowship he had with the saints there, he said, it didn't just begin recently. It, it, from the very first day that I was with you in Philippi, you've been with me all this time. He says sometimes they're partakers with him in, in this grace, partakers with him in this gospel. So again, it would be another reason for him to be happy to, to have thoughts of, of the brother there in Philippi. Uh, he says, in, from the very first day, from the very first day until all the way up, say, 10, 10 years later when Paul's in prison in Rome, he says, I know that you're still thinking about me. You didn't stop thinking about me 10 years ago. Uh, it seems that perhaps during part of that 10 years, they may have less, lost contact of Paul and, and maybe didn't uh, know exactly where he was in his travels, but but they kind of make up for that because when they find out that he's in Rome and in prison, they're going to send a special gift to Paul while he's in prison in Rome by one of their fellow members, and his name is Epaphroditus. We're going to talk about him just a little bit later. Just in verse 7, it says, Just as it is right for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both uh, my... Uh, in my chains, in, in my defense, in confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of this grace. Paul would look at his life, and, and I think another reason Paul was, was was awful joyful was that Paul was a very optimistic person. He seemed to look at things in a different light than a whole lot of us would look at things. In fact, uh, it would be Paul who would write to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and, and would, would say these words uh, to the brethren in Rome. He would say that, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I believe that Paul believed that. It's evident to me that Paul believed that very thing. That as he thought about himself in chains in Rome, waiting to be tried uh, there in Rome, that, that he was... He was happy because of circumstances. You stop and think about, well, wait a minute. How could you be happy being a prisoner? Well, if you're the Apostle Paul, think about this. Who would you possibly have the opportunity to teach while you're in prison? Wow. Probably a whole lot of people, right? You remember whenever he and Silas were in prison back in Philippi, Back when they're, they're in prison, they're singing songs and praising God, and, and at midnight, whenever the whenever the, the earthquake takes place and the Philippian jailer is converted, but here is Paul over in Rome, he's in prison again, and as it turns out, that this this these chains that Paul were in seems to be the type of chains that that tethered Paul to a guard. They must have thought Paul was a really a bad guy, right? Somehow that he was going to be able to escape is all I can figure when they chained him to a prison guard. Uh, And it also turns out that this guard, these guards were changed about every six hours, every six hours. So think about this, every six hours Paul would have a new person to preach to. And that made Paul very happy. He was very happy about that. But not only that, but think about the people who came to visit Paul. Paul would have a chance to preach to them, teach to them. Um, Even, uh, you you know, when Epaphroditus comes to take care of Paul, Paul has a chance to teach him some more too. So Paul says, hey, look, it doesn't bother me a great deal that I'm here in prison. When other people would look at that situation and say, Whoa is me, right? Look at me. Look at all that I've done for the cause of Christ. And look where it got me. It got me stuck in jail right here. Not Paul. he. I can see Paul in prison there in Rome singing praises to God and thanking God for the opportunity to continue to preach the gospel. Paul was a very happy person. He was very confident. He was very... Um, he was very happy about where he was. So... Um, In verse 6, I want to back up just a little bit. It says, he's being confident of this very thing that he who began a a good work in you will complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. What Paul is referencing in it, he's referencing the start of the church back when he was at Philippi. He says, God started that work. Think about how Paul got to Philippi, right? He wasn't going to Philippi. He ended up in Philippi because the Holy Spirit had stopped him a couple of different times from going where Paul thought he was going to go and sent him to Philippi. And he says, God started that work. God sent me there to start to preach the gospel. And so God started a good work in Philippi. And he said, you know what? I have every confidence in the world that God will complete that work. You know, that's the kind of God we serve. He doesn't do anything halfway." Whenever God starts a good work, he's going to continue that work. And Paul says, I have all the confidence in the world that God will do that very thing. He says, just as for, my, for me to think of you uh, all, because I'll have you in my heart, inasmuch in both my chains and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And the defense and the confirmation. So Paul says... When I, when I think about you Christians and I think about your Christianity and I think about what you have believed and what you've come to know, he said, you're going to be able to defend the gospel. The, the word defends for the gospel here is the word apologetics, apologetics. And apologetics is be able to be able to speak for the gospel, be able to stand up for it, be able to argue, if you will, for the truth. He says, you're going to be able to do that as well as you can be, uh, as your confirmation of the gospel, that you're going to be able to prove by the life that you live that the gospel is indeed what it is. And he says, and, and he says you, you and Philippi are partakers with me in this, he calls it this grace, this grace. Paul was happy about it. He was happy about his circumstances. In fact, he's so happy about it. In verse 8, he calls God as his witness. He says, for God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, he says, you know, God knows, as, as his servant, God knows that I'm, I'm telling you the truth, that I long to see you. It, it appears that Paul has this idea as he writes this letter that he's probably going to get out of prison soon. And we see that a couple of times throughout the letter, how that Paul, in fact, he's telling the brethren at Philippi, I long to see you when I get out of prison, I long to make the trip back to Philippi so that I can again spend some time with you. And he's, he's confident that this is going to happen. And verse nine says, in this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So as Paul prays for the brethren there, he gives thanks for the brethren there. As he talks about the joy he has in his remembrance of them, he says, I'm also praying right, that your love for one another will not only grow, but that it will grow more and more. Stacking love on top of love, right? He wants the brethren there to grow in this great love. The word he uses there for love is the word Agape. Agape, that's the the kind of love that has the greatest love for one another, wanting what's best for somebody else. He says, that's the kind of love I have for you, and I want you to have for one another, and I want you to have it more and more all the days that you live. He says, uh, in knowledge and all discernment. So Paul says, not only do I want you to have this love for one another, but I want you to continue to grow in knowledge. I want you to continue to study the Word of God. I want you to continue to uh, find out those things you need to do as a Christian, as, as God's people, and I want you to grow in knowledge so that you will be able to listen to things that are being taught. In fact, even in this book, we're going to see that Paul is going to talk about you need to kind of be aware of some false teachers that might be amongst you, that might be in that area. He's going to address those in the book, too, later on. He says, but I want you to be... Have a good understanding of what God expects of his children, what God expects of his church, so that you can stand strong in the truth. You can stand strong and not waver when it comes to death. But not only you'll have the knowledge to stand strong, but you will have discernment. Discernment is that ability to look at a situation and make the right choices, deciding which is the better, okay? It's knowing, having that knowledge, having the knowledge will help you to decide and look at things that are being sought and this is truly what God would have us to do or this is not what God would have us to do. That discernment, that wisdom to make those choices and to make the right choices at the time. He says in verse 10 that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Approve the things that are excellent. So he says there are things that are good And there are things that are better, but I want you to be able to look at the things to know what's the best, those things that are excellent. To prove those things that are excellent. And he goes on to say, he says, so that you might be sincere. Uh, I think I've heard, I think I've even heard Alan use this illustration, so I don't mind boring it. When he uses the word sincere, he's talking about that. It's actually made from two words, the word sin and, and, and also the word seer. And it means that which is without fault. It seems that sculptors in that day, whenever they were, they were sculpting things, that sometimes sculptors would just make a miss and knock a chunk out of something that didn't ha- wasn't supposed to have a chunk at it, right? So what they would do, there was a certain kind of wax they could take, and they could, they could fill in that crack, or they could fill in that chunk, so that whenever you looked at it, it didn't look like there was anything wrong with it. But sincere means to be without fault, without blemish. It also, that's the, uh, it also the word also means to be sunlight tested, sunlight tested. Uh, a lot of times if you want to find out that something's, or see something clearly, we might take it outside into the sunlight with all of its purity and hold it up and look in the light and see that it is indeed exactly what we thought it was, right? So Paul says, I want you to have that kind of a life. I want you to be sincere. I want you to be without fault. I want you to be sunlight tested so that people can see the life that you're living and know that you are indeed God's children and you are indeed doing all that you can uh, to give God the glory. He says you can do this without offense until the day of Christ. In verse 11, he says, Being filled with the fruits of the righteousness which are uh, by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Whenever you think about the, the, the fruits of righteousness, we think about that, that song that our young kids sing back over in the book of Galatians when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Paul talked about the fruits of the Spirit of the church in Galatia. He would say, I want you to be filled with that love and that joy and that peace, that understanding, that kindness, all, all those different fruits because that's, what, that's who Jesus was, Right? That's who Jesus was. When you looked at the life of Jesus himself, that's who you saw. You saw those characteristics in his life. And he says, Paul says, I want you too to have those kind of characteristics in your life. I want you to be filled with that kind of fruit of righteousness. Uh, He says, not so much that you can glory in yourself, but for the fact that you can give God the glory. Because all that we have, all that we are, are really gifts from God. Isn't that true? The fact that the, the church in Philippi, whenever you stop and think about how it was they came to hear the gospel, how Paul even got there, you have to understand that was, that was God working in the life of Paul, directing him by the Holy Spirit, getting to him to go where he wanted him to go so he could actually bring the gospel to the saints, to the people there, so that they could become saints, become part of the church. And he said, again, he said, do you do this not for your own glory, not to make yourself better, not so that people could look at you and say, oh, what a, what a good person this person is. Look at how he lives his life. But no, so that they can look at the life that you live and say, may God be glorified by this person's life. All the things that they do is so that God could be glorified. Isn't that what we sing, kids sing on Sunday night in the afternoon? Mm-hmm. Remember the three questions that are asked at the end of the lesson? And the last one is, why do we do it? To glorify God. We live our life to glorify God. So, Paul starts to, in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Wait, Paul, what are you saying? Those things that have happened to me, well, you stop and think just for a moment, what kind of things have happened to Paul? Go, go back, go back to the time that he has converted to Christ on the road to Damascus. Even shortly thereafter, whenever he's uh, when he goes into Damascus and he meets Ananias and he is converted, he's converted and he's baptized, the, the saints, the, the brethren still didn't expect didn't accept him, right? He was kind of alienated by the brethren there. And, and it's not till later on they start to recognize the teacher that he is. But Paul starts enumerating some of the things that have happened to him since he's been a Christian. He says, I've been, I've been beaten three times with 40 stripes, save one. I, I've been imprisoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been lost at sea. I've been, and he just goes on and on and on. And Paul says, you know, I look at all of those things that have happened to me and in every one of those things I think thank God I went through those things because it gave me the opportunity to do what to do more for the cause of Christ with maybe somebody else with maybe another group of people Says so Paul says I look at all these things and I just figured that's just what had to happen to what to further preach and teach the word of God to further the gospel down the road that, that's pretty interesting to think about that. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have that kind of an attitude for ourselves? I think sometimes we we are not that optimistic about our lives. We look at things that happen to us and we are tended to say sometimes, oh, why me? Why did that happen to happen to me? Instead of Paul would say, thank you, Lord. I'm glad that happened because now look what I can do from here on. And so Paul would look at his life that way and he would could rejoice, he could sing those songs of praise to him, to others. He says, so they actually have turned out to help further the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole prote- palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Again, he says, you know, my having the ability to be to be chained to prisoners and to preach and teach Jesus Christ, he said, actually it's not just the prisoners that I'm chained to that is here in the gospel, but this word is going out to everyone. Other people are talking about, hey, you wouldn't believe what this guy in prison told me, right? You wouldn't believe how happy this guy is. This guy is singing praises to his God, and he, and, and he's talking about God, and he's talking about religion. And so Paul said, all these things that are happening, they're not bad. He says, I think they're good. Isn't that what he said in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, 28? All these things work together for good for those who are called to the Lord. All right, and called according to his purpose. Uh, so, uh, as a matter of fact, in the same letter, a little bit later on, Paul says that he's going to have the opportunity uh, to teach all of Caesar's household. I'm not sure he's talking about every single person, but. People in Rome are going, a lot of people in Rome are going to get to hear the gospel because of a prisoner by the name of Paul, who's not unhappy at all about his circumstances. But he's rejoiced in the fact that even as a prisoner, he can still proclaim the gospel to those who are lost. In verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word, uh, without fear, so Paul would talk about. Actually, Paul is talking about fellow preachers in the Rome, in the area of Rome. He said, you know, instead of instead of people cowering uh, away from preaching the gospel because they may be in prison, he said they're actually looking at me in prison and said, look, look what Paul is doing, and he's in chains. He is in prison. And he's still preaching the gospel. And if Paul can do that, why can't I, not being a prisoner, get out and preach and teach others? So Paul says the gospel is being preached all around. And that's a good thing. He's going to talk later on in our next lesson. We're going to say there's some who are teaching and preaching with bad motives. And then there are some who are doing it sincerely. But you know what Paul says about that? He said it doesn't matter. What really matters is the gospel's being preached. It doesn't matter what their motives are, as long as they're preaching and teaching the truth. Any comments, any questions, any thoughts? Our time is just about up for tonight. Maybe someone has something to share about this first part. I haven't heard any bells yet, so I don't know where we are with the bell ringing business. Anyway, that's the lesson for tonight. If you would like to be ahead for the next study. By the way, I will not be here next Wednesday night. Uh, We will be having a class here next Wednesday night, but I will not be teaching it myself. Um, And I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I'm thinking probably it will be a combination of both adult classes here in the auditorium being taught by uh, Logan. That's what I'm thinking right now. Anyway, thanks for being here tonight. You have a few minutes to visit among yourselves while we'll wait for the other group to be dismissed and come into the auditorium.